This is IAQ Radio, indoor air quality radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry, with your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus, episode 687. This week, we welcome Paul Krim, the Vice President and Director of Project Operations, and Ken Garza, Vice President of Industrial Hygiene at GHP. We're going to be discussing from reactive to proactive IEQ, a unique process encourages a paradigm shift. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. They are the reason we can continue doing the show. And don't forget, check out afterthoughts.iaqradio.com, sponsored by First On Site. Our marquee sponsor is First On Site at firstonsite.com. Our association sponsors are the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, ACGIH.org, the American Industrial Hygiene Association, AIHA.org, the Institute for Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification, IICRC.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories, AEMLINC.com, Particles Plus, ParticlesPlus.com, TSI Inc., TSI.com, Sunbelt Rentals, SunbeltRentals.com, Healthy Indoors Magazine, HealthyIndoors.com. And now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia Question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to czlotnick at cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now, here's the Z-Man. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to Don Weeks, Ottawa, Ontario, Canada for being first to identify Leonardo Passafaro as the given name for the actor who played Luca Brazzi in the movie Godfather 1. The IQ Radio trivia question for today, January 20, 2023, has been sponsored by TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IQ investigations at TSI.com. Here's today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Name the problem-solving principle that states, when you're presented with multiple competing hypotheses for a phenomenon or explanations for an event, you should start by selecting the simplest and most likely one, the one that makes the fewest assumptions. Back to you, Joe. All right, so we've got Rich Krim. He's a professional engineer, lead AP, and he's the director of project operations his project experience is comprehensive of just about every aspect of mechanical and plumbing systems. Rich has a Master's of Science in Mechanical Engineering from Vanderbilt and a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering from the University of Mississippi. Uh, Kenneth Garza, CIHMS, is GHP's Vice President and Director of Texas Operations. He has client experience in a variety of industries. His work has taken him around the globe, including Dubai, Chile, Guyana, and the Caribbean Islands. Ken's Master of Science is in Environmental Science and Management from the University of Texas at San Antonio, and his Bachelor of Science is in bio Biology with a minor in Chemistry from St. Mary's University. I can uh, welcome gentlemen. Hey, guys, great to have you both on the show. Rich, Ken, we got a chance to chat a little beforehand, and uh, I'm looking forward to a great discussion. Rich, why don't we start with you? 
give us a little background on GHP. I I was somewhat familiar with GHP from back in my asbestos days, and uh, I, I know that Steve Hayes has been well-known in that arena for many years. Yeah, so GHP is uh, what happens when an architect and a chemical engineer slash CIH combine forces. So Ron was our architect, uh, and Steve is our uh, chemical engineer. Um, and so beyond the traditional consulting work for these two disciplines, you know, respectively from the late 1970s into the early 80s, uh, issues with the built environment uh, really seem to meld these two's experience, expertise. So asbestos, workplace health and safety, general indoor air quality mold, um, you know, the list goes on. So uh, from that time, Ron and Steve became regulars uh, for speaking engagements with trade groups, building owners, government. Um, and Steve was actually president of uh, NIBS, NIBS, for a period of time. That's the National Institute of Building Science. So the acronym police don't get you there, Rich. Uh, give us a little little more detail on, on how they've grown over the years. I think that's fascinating. You know, because of that early start that Rich talked about, you know, our, our business has evolved, right? And uh, it's involved in, you know, three business units, architecture, environmental, construction services, right? Uh, but just because we have those three business using units doesn't mean uh, they never touch each other, right? quite often a lot of our projects are overlapping uh, between architectural, environmental, construction services. So, um, <clears throat> you know, at the end of the day, our company is about, we're, we're passionate, you know, we're passionate about architecture, environment, uh, uh, construction, and how that impacts building occupants, as well as folks who own buildings and people who manage buildings, right? That's our kind of our passion uh, when we come, when we're talking about building sciences, right? I'd like to kind of start with maybe the, the locations. It's kind of interesting. I've grown over there. First, people aren't probably familiar with the fact that you're in Na- headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee, correct? Uh, okay. That's correct. Uh, that's, that's always been our mainstay headquarters. And from that time, we have offices and uh, offices and sub-offices, I should say, in Texas, Florida, California, Denver. Um, so we have we're kind of strategically place where we need to be to get to the work that we need to do so yeah i was just gonna say uh currently today we are led by dominique arietta uh, we are a women-owned business and uh we continue to grow uh, and and uh, have new opportunities uh, that come our way all the time so it, it's been a fun ride since i've been with the company since 2002 so all right, Richard, lead A, P, B, D, and C. I'm not sure what all those all those uh, letters mean, but I know what lead A, P is. And uh, I'm curious, how many, like what percent of the projects you guys do are, are looking for that lead certification, accreditation, whatever they call it? Uh, I, I would say a good percentage are looking for that lead A, P. Um, and even if they're not going for the actual certification, we'll see a lot of um, owners that want to at least kind of follow that template. So they may not be worried about actually getting all the credits for the certification, but they're really using that as, as kind of a design standard, um, you know, from, from multiple aspects. You know, I, all building owners want to save energy and money, but, you know, also the indoor air quality aspect of it and the materials used um, play a big role. And I'm wondering if um, other 
certification um, schemes, I'm not sure the proper terminology, are they making much of an inroads on lead? Like there's the well building and, you know, several other now um, of these similar types of programs. Are you seeing much demand for those? We are starting to see a lot of demand um, for, you know, well building, well health and safety rating. And what we're seeing is not so much a competition between the two, but owners that want to to get multiple certifications because they're not necessarily competing with each other in the same space. You know, well has a lot more to do with with the occupants of the building than the actual construction energy usage that you would see more from a LEED certification. And I really want to jump into this, you know, kind of um, refocus from reactive to proactive IEQ. And I guess either one of you can jump in here. What what kind of, uh, what was the impetus behind that? Why why did that seem to be such a, a big, um, I guess, uh, emphasis at GHP? I think we've had, you know, many clients that we've worked with over the years, good clients, great clients. And, you know, the typical kind of consultant aspect of what we do is, is if you really think about it, is a lot of the calls we get that come in the door are just, we have this issue, you need to come and fix it or tell us how to fix it, right? And to me, that's more of a reactionary type deal, right? So you're reacting to some situation. Um, you know, for example, I, let's say we've got a building, uh, it's a hospitality kind of based building, and they've got now they see mold growing behind vinyl wall covering, right? And now they can't occupy a fourth of their rooms in their building, right? That's a big issue for them. But to me, that falls under that heading of reactive. Now we have that situation that we have to deal with, right? Uh, proactive is, in my mind, trying to get very much in front of that issue, right? So trying to get, trying to assess a building looking for those preliminary indicators, those types of things you'd want to look for um, in a building where we're not actually seeing a full-blown issue just yet, but that might could down the line turn into a full-blown issue. And so uh, we have a lot of good clients that are really looking in that direction now and saying, look, we don't want to just wait for the issue to happen and spend a lot of money. Maybe we you know, spend a minimal amount of money and keep track of our properties over time proactively and to make sure to kind of quarter off any of those um, issues before they become full-blown issues, right? And I think maybe this is a good time to pull up the slides you guys worked on for us. I, I remember we met, now it's been a while, maybe a month ago, we kind of talked and went through the spreadsheet that I think you're going to pull up here now, or at least a, a, a part of that spreadsheet and the kinds of things that, that have led to this change from, you know, the push to be more proactive. Yeah. And before we get into kind of the uh, meat and potatoes of proactive and reactive, you know, when you're thinking of a proactive program, we're looking for those types of indicators uh, in a building. Right. And so here I just put a smattering of photos of just to kind of, um, uh, the things that an assessor would look for when in a building, right? That maybe other folks might not pick up on immediately, right? So, you know, water issues, drainage issues from air handling units, 
condensation issues on diffusers, uh, you know, moisture intrusion from windows, negative building, things like that. And, and these other photos can kind of explain themselves a little bit. Uh, and if you want to shoot onto the next slide, not only inside are we looking at those things, but we're also, uh, we also care about indicators outside, you know, a balcony that's not draining correctly. Um, Green brick. An, <laughs> yeah, growth at an exterior of a building, right? If you look down the picture a little bit right next to an air intake, you know, uh, those types of things, cracks in windows, uh, grading issues. Uh, I love that uh, bottom one in the middle there, you know, there's the lonely little roof drain sitting there on its own little island. Um, <laughs> so those, you know, these are the types of things that we're not saying just because you see that you're going to have an indoor air quality problem immediately right then. But those are indicators that later on down the road, you might have some issues, right? And so if you're proactively looking for, example, these things, uh, uh, looking for these types of things, you can correct them ahead of time, right? So that you're not uh, waiting, at, uh, waiting for it to be a big issue later on down the road. So, and with that, you can shoot over to the next uh, Next one, slide. John. All right, this is, this is where we go. Right, I wanted to show those photos to kind of better explain this table a little bit. Um, so we collect a lot of information uh, inside of buildings, right? So this is only just two rubrics of that information. The one on the left is, is we're talking about a hospitality, right, place, a building. Uh, the one on the left is, is some of the things that we're looking for as it relates to guest rooms. And then on the right are going to be some of the things we're looking for as it relates to um, air handling units that feed common spaces, right? And there's other rubrics to look at, but I'm just putting this up as an example. So red is bad, right? So we can see that um, if you're starting to get um, in the higher percentages of red there, those are, that's not good. And by the way, each one of those line types or line items, that's a facility. So here we're looking at 20 plus, at least a snippet of information of 20 plus facilities or so. And so you can see kind of the grading against each other. And, and the, the far right column is what we would think of as a grade, you know, from zero to 100. What is your grade for that particular line item of information? Um, and so it, we're collecting this information over time in buildings as well as in multiple buildings, right? And if you want to shoot on to the next slide. Oh, real quick, Rich, oh, sure. go back if you would, John. These are each line is a as a separate um building or room within a building. Each each line is a separate building. Now remember, we're only seeing two portions of that line. There's other rubrics to think about. Sure. Essentially one line, like that top line that you've seen across, that's one facility. Right. And so you can kind of see per that one facility, per that time of assessment, that was those were our observations at that time. Right. And these are your let me go over these columns to CO, CO. You've got to keep in mind, not everybody watches the YouTube somewhere on the podcast. CO, CO2, temperature, relative humidity, malodor, I think, is an important one we'll talk more about. Uh, closed shades, installation of. Uh, or indications of air moisture, uh, evidence of condensation of mold growth on materials, evidence of microbial 
growth after uh, damage on non-metallic um, evidence of discoloring, staining behind vinyl, and percent moisture greater than normal. So kind of going across, you're getting a feel for these different, these are the key points you're looking at. Correct. And, and like I said, this is as it relates just to guest rooms, right? And so we're trying to, when we walk into a particular guest room, we're saying, these are the things we're looking for. Do we see evidence of these types of things, right? Now, we may not have an issue of musty odors or mold growth or anything like that, but we're still collecting that information, right? Um, and same thing for the one on the right. You know, We're looking at a air handling system or air handling unit. These are kinds of the things that we're going to be looking for as it relates to that unit. So, Now, let me get one other thing. When you say, let's look at that unit, Dirty air filters. We got one here that's a hundred percent. How do you? What's your percentage based on? Is it like you know a clean one, zero to twenty-five, or twenty-five to fifty? No. That that's a good question. So when you say you see that hundred percent, that's actually us looking at a number of units. So if we looked at five units, let's say that per, when I see hundred percent, that tells me that every one of those units. Someone's not changing the filters in, the, in those units. If if only one unit was like that, well, then you'd see, you know, 20%. Does that make sense? Yes. And then going across um, microbial growth in the unit, improper drainage of the pan, excessive uh, pan corrosion or rust, that's a good one. Um, duct joints improperly sealed, improper piping insulation, surrounding unit signs of the last signs of lost, it's less than standard cleanliness or maintenance. Okay, good. How do you get the um, the grade overall? Is that just an average of those percentages going across? Right. That's an average. So that 63% you see there is basically an average of those numbers going across. And so, these, I assume, are kind of the most common issues you found in buildings over the years. Yeah. I mean, you could even subdivide each one of these columns even further if you wanted to, you know, theoretically. Uh, but we thought that these were at least good columns of information to look for as it related to, uh, you know, air handling units, for instance. So. Okay. All right. Let's move on to the next one, John. All right. This right. is interesting. So, here. Yeah. So it's, you know, imagine though, I, again, I just showed you guys a very small snippet of information. I mean, we've been doing, uh, for some of our clients, we've been doing this type of work for since 2013, 14. And each year we've done multiple, multiple, multiple buildings, 80, 90, 100 buildings in some cases per year. So we get a ton of this data, right? So what do we do with it? You know, it's uh, one thing I have a, a, a colleague of mine, Brian Benitez, who does uh, uh, stat work for another uh, industry. But I, you know, I sent him some of this information. And I was like, hey, uh, can you take a cursory look at this and see, you know, uh, what exactly you think you can, what can come of this, I guess, right? And uh, he said, yeah, I can take a look at it. He's doing, you know, statistical regression analysis, um, which is basically comparing all the different things that we're, all these data points we're collecting and comparing those subject matters to each other, right? So, when I look at this slide right here, <clears throat> uh, this is an example of, uh, of um, kind of the comparison from that overall grade that we were looking at 
in a guest room as compared to other correlates, right? So that negative 0 0.74 is, is the highest, uh, um, associate has the highest association with a lower score, right? Then that makes sense, right? That's kind of like a no brainer. Um, but what sure. I also thought was interesting was the next thing over, you know, negative 0.7, that has a higher association with that element that we saw in, a, in you know, again, this is all data from all buildings, uh, indications of air moisture at windows and entryways. So that lower grade also corresponded very well with that particular observation and then so forth and so forth, right? Evidence of condensation on metallic surfaces, you know, to me, that's an indication of high humidity in a building, right? Um, and, and, and you can see uh, as lesser correlation goes forward from there. So, And when you say evidence of discoloration staining behind vinyl, that's wall coverings? Yeah, uh, vinyl wall coverings is how okay. should uh, be stated. And you would think, oh, once you're at the point of seeing, you know, uh, staining, which is obviously mold growth behind vinyl wall coverings, that should be the one of the biggest indicators of an odor, but it's not always the case. So I've been to many facilities where you can see you know, discoloration and it's going to be mold growth behind there, but you're not getting that impact of musty odor or something like that. Not in all cases, but sometimes. So. Interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, I got a text question. The spreadsheet evaluation is looking for abnormal or poor conditions rather than looking for positive IEQ conditions. Have you identified a list of ideal IEQ parameters? That's a great question, Ralph. Ideal IEQ parameters. Uh, yeah. So, what would what, what what type of parameter would lead to more satisfaction? I guess. Uh, uh, except, I guess if you look at what leads to dissatisfaction, I guess the opposite of that you would assume would lead to satisfaction. But I, I, you can't just assume that. Well, I mean that's true. I mean, I think one of the easiest things to think about is, you know, is there mold growth? or is there not mold growth? If there's not, that's obviously more satisfactory than there is, right? From an indoor air quality standpoint. Um, but if you're thinking about like pramp, like RH parameters, um, you know, you wanna kind of be in that 30 to 60 RH in occupied building, right? If you start going above that, you know, you've got higher moisture content in the air and that's not good. You go below that, you know, at least from an IAQ standpoint, you have people complaining about it being too dry, you know. So, I mean, there's that parameter to stay within, right? If you're within that kind of 30 to 60, that's a good thing. Um, it's about the only way I can answer that, I guess. I guess the opposite of what we're looking for, maybe, like like kind of what you just said. So, Well, I noticed that relative humidity doesn't rank as high as I thought it would, but um, maybe you could comment well, on that. Yeah, and you know, I, I looked at that too, and I thought that that would have been much higher. The only thing that I can think of is that, you know, when we're conducting these types of assessments, these are year round, um, and they're in different locations of the country. You have some that are internal to our country, is you know, Oklahoma, and you have some that may be right there on the beach, right? So there's seasonal variations to consider. Uh, there's location. Uh, differences to consider, and I think that throws off that RH number a little bit. Um, if I went to a facility that was in, uh, I don't know, Miami Beach, and it was summertime, 
I'd expect there maybe to be picking up indoors uh, high RH issues, perhaps if there's an issue that way. Um, but if I did that same assessment in January, maybe not, you know, so I think it is what it is. You just have to look at the data that way. But, but that if you think about that aspect and then you think about this, this indications of air moisture in windows or entryways, someone's definitely going to see that no matter what time of the year it is because that's something that happened and it's there, right? So that's the only thing that I can think of that explains that data that way. And I guess, Rich, where I'm kind of leading into now, you've got this data. How do you, in the pre-planning stage, um, take a proactive approach to beginning with, beginning with the architect? Right. So, you know, one of the things that we really... Um, like to encourage at the design stage is, you know, what we call third-party enclosure consulting services as it relates to water intrusion. Um, in the design stage, that's going to include drawing and specification review uh, with an emphasis on, on the details, right, at, at windows, uh, at roofs, because um, that's where you can really see the issues in constructability. And then you know, as we as we get into the construction phase, you we would recommend regular site visits, maybe every couple of weeks, just to note how those waterproofing features are being installed. Um, and we also like to see uh, some water testing on windows, both at the mock-up stage uh, and as they're actually constructing the building. And then. Um... You also mentioned in an earlier discussion, material supply and storage during construction. Is that something your guys are trained to watch out for? Yes. And, you know, we recommend that, you know, before you start to install porous materials, you know, drywall or, or you know, wood studs, if it's stick frame construction, we like to see that area dried in before those start to get installed. And, you know, understanding that that's not always possible just based on the construction phasing, um, you know, we can also come back and check moisture content, um, you know, either before drywall gets put onto those wood studs or checking moisture content in drywall before it starts to get finished. And that's what you guys call third-party waterproofing consulting. That's right. I think that's an interesting uh kind of type of uh, service that not a lot of people think about providing during these big projects. But I guess, do you ever sub that out or do you do use all your own guys to do that type of work? We typically use our own guys um, for some of the water testing. We'll bring in some consultants that, you know, that's kind of their specialty, uh, especially with some of the more complex, you know, chamber testing and that sort of thing. Okay. Um, what I'm going to do here, we're going to stop for halftime. I've got a couple of text questions I definitely want to uh, get into here in a moment, just letting our audience know we'll talk about your text questions when we come back from halftime. We're in a great, great little interview with Rich Krim and Ken Garza from GHP. We'll be right back. Our marquee sponsor is First On Site, your trusted full-service disaster recovery and property restoration company at firstonsite.com. 
Our association sponsors are ACGIH, Advancing Careers of Professionals in Environmental Health, Industrial Hygiene, and Safety, Interested in Defining Their Science. ACGIH.org. AIHA, Healthy Workplaces, A Healthier World. AIHA.org. The IICRC, a nonprofit standards development and certifying body for the cleaning and restoration industry. IICRC. CRC.org. Industry sponsors are AEML Laboratories. Free shipping, great pricing, same day results with no rush fee. AEMLINC.com. Particles Plus. Feature rich particle counters and air quality instrumentation. Count on us. Particlesplus.com. TSI Inc., an industry leader in precision instrumentation for monitoring indoor air. Learn how to expand your IAQ investigations, TSI.com. Sunbelt Rentals, availability, reliability, and ease for all your IAQ and restoration needs at sunbeltrentals.com. And Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online magazine for industry professionals and consumers, healthyindoors.com. All right, we're back. We've got Rich Krim and Ken Garza. I got a text here for, I think this is for Ken. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure what PIP stands for, but there's a typical PIP plan for hotel chains that create a uniform brand look. Uh, that's the typical type of good IAQ expected. What is a PIP? Can you tell us a little more about that, Ken? Or, I mean, yeah, Ken, I guess. Um, Rich. The PIP acronym, or are you familiar with that? Yeah, I am, and and the exact um, it, it slips me right now, but it's essentially doing a finishes type upgrade. You know, every ten to fifteen years or so. Um, so it's not like a full gut renovation, but you know, upgrading some of the finishes to to keep it fresh. Right. So you're talking about uh, what I would call soft goods finishes or refinishes, I guess. Uh, I'm not, I don't use that term PIP, I guess. Um, <clears throat> and the question was, there are standards oh, for that you, going forward? Just there? kind of, um, what is that? And when you go into I guess my follow-up would be, can those types of refreshes cause IAQ problems? Oh, definitely. Uh, actually, and how? Well, Certainly when those come about, that's where people, that's where we get that uh, quote-unquote reactive IAQ call, right? Hey, I, I, we went ahead and we started doing this project. Folks started uh, tearing down vinyl wall covering in guest rooms, and lo and behold, now we've got a full-blown issue, right? Um, because of those um, refreshes, uh, we find a lot of issues that way. And uh, a lot of times, and we found this also, we may get a building owner that now they own this property and they start ripping down one layer of vinyl wall covering and oh, there's another layer and here's another layer and another layer. So you could tell throughout the years when they've done these refinishes, they just kind of just, you know, at some point someone decided, eh, let's just go over it versus deal with the issue. So um, you, you bring up a great topic when it comes to hotels and particularly hotels, but there are other buildings that also use these wall coverings, wallpaper, vinyl wallpaper. Um, are you guys discouraging its use or are you doing something 
that helps to avoid the microbial issues that have been common. In fact, I remember in your bio, one of you had a paper or a presentation called Toxic Mold Litigation, Perspectives on Excessive Mold Growth in Hotels. And that's kind of what I wanted to jump into next. But first, let's talk a little bit about the wall covering issue. Who who would deal with that? Ken, you or Rich? Well, I mean, both both Rich and I could deal with that. But my perspective is, at the end of the day, we can't, we can give advice all we want on something and, and what to use, what not to use, but people are just going to use what they want to use for aesthetic purposes. Um, I'm not saying that every time you have vinyl wall cover, you're always going to have a mold issue. That's not the case. I think vinyl wall covering compounded with other factors in a building, right? Like maybe I have, and, and Rich can talk about this later, you know, maybe I, I don't have the correct air handling equipment in place, or it's not being utilized correctly, or or the facade wasn't necessarily constructed the way it needed to be done. Well, mm-hmm. when you have those other issues, and in, a, in additional, you have the vinyl wall covering aspect, that can, you know, exacerbate an issue sometimes, right? So, that, that's always my been my thought on that. Yeah, and I w- wanted to jump in a little bit there. It, it's it's not just the vinyl by itself that creates the problem. I mean, what vinyl does is it it doesn't allow that gypsum board or drywall to breathe. Right? So if you get moisture in there, it traps it. If you don't have a moisture issue, then you really shouldn't have a problem with the vinyl. But you know that's where we find. There may be issues at the envelope that are letting water into wall cavities and then the vinyl traps it. Or you may have HVAC issues with negative pressure and that's pulling that hot humid air into wall cavities. And again, the vinyl traps that moisture. So vinyl is one of the things that a lot of times will lead us down the path of trying to figure out what the other issues are that are bringing moisture into the building. I'm wondering because a lot of times I find that it's air movement and the building enclosure, building envelope is leaky. You get air movement that can bring moist, humid air uh, causing mold growth. Do you guys ever recommend um, blower door testing on like individual sections of the building as it's going up just to check to see, or how do you, how do you verify that the building enclosure is airtight? You know, we don't do a lot of um, that kind of testing. Um, so it, it's more, you know, test and balance of the uh, mechanical systems. Because even if you don't have a, a completely airtight building, if you're neutral or positive, you shouldn't be bringing in a lot of outside air through envelope issues, right? So it's, it's really when we find negative pressure situations um, where we're concerned with that. And, you know, another aspect of that to look at is the specific design, because even if it's designed to be positive, some of the issues we see specifically in uh, hotels is if you've got um, you've got the bathroom exhaust, right, and the, the design to get the outside air in is to pump a bunch of outside air into the corridors, blow up that corridor and and that air should theoretically flow into the guest rooms. But 
if you don't have enough of an undercut on the door or, you know, somebody after the fact, um, you know, installs um, thresholds at the door that blocks that air, you may have a design that would be positive, but you're not getting the right airflow. And going back to that, I don't know if it was a presentation or a paper, and I don't know if you guys remember, I saw it on one of your uh, bios, toxic mold litigation, perspectives in excessive mold growth in hotels. What is the current landscape like? And then I want to take it back to asbestos because we had a text question earlier on that. But what's the current landscape like with respect to lawsuits and hotels over mold issues? Sure. Uh, and that the, what you referenced, the toxic mold litigation, that was a paper that uh, I co-wrote with, a, with, a, with an attorney, actually. So you had kind of aspects of the science in there, uh, but you also had aspects of, 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 of what an attorney might, uh, through their goggles, would see uh, with this, right? And uh, <clears throat> so this was an attempt to uh, produce a document that talked a little bit about the indoor air quality science, but also talked about potential liabilities, right? Whether it's health liabilities or owner liabilities or things like that, just to kind of put that all in context. And the audience was really for building owners, right? So as far as the term, you know, legal quote unquote mold claims, um, from my experience, uh, when I first started you know, kind of doing this stuff, industrial hygiene work in 2002, um, that was very much a very real thing. Tons of insurance companies dealing with it, lots of uh, municipalities dealing with it. Um, there was a huge scare, you know, as it relates to legal mold claims, right? Um, but I think since that time, uh, there's been a lot of really good information out there. You know, you, you mentioned a couple outfits, ACGIH, AIHA, EPA, OSHA. There's been a ton of great, um, what I would call standardized recommendation information, right? So not necessarily strict regulation per se, but the who, what, who, what where, when, why, and how to do things related to mold assessment as well as mold um, remediation. So People are approaching it from that way. So I think those mold claims, those legal mold claims, in my opinion, at least that I've seen, have kind of lessened throughout the years. Um, on the flip side of that, oh, sorry, I'm sorry, you can ask a question. Go ahead, no, don't, go for the flip side. I'd like to hear that. Sure. Now, on the flip side of that, the, the back in the day when someone said, there's an indoor air quality problem, I'm getting sick or whatever, what have you. Usually they said, well, it's mold related, right? It's, it's mold. I think today building occupants have become a lot more savvy and a lot more knowledgeable about all the different things that can affect their building and their work environments. So they may say, hey, you know, we're smelling, uh, we don't think it's mold. We think it's a fuel vapor issue for, you know, from idling trucks outside or uh, it's a VOC issue or, or we think there's a chemical issue in this building. And so um, not only have, have the types of indoor air quality issues have grown, um, I think building occupants have, have, have come to demand working in those better work environments versus less better, less, uh, uh, lesser environments, I should say. I had a text earlier, and this was on litigation. And I'm just curious, what's the most difficult asbestos litigation issue you've had to deal with? 
Uh, I mean, in reality, they're all difficult, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's a that's a human carcinogen, and no one wants to deal with it, you know, and, and no one should deal with it unless they're absolutely trained to deal with it, right? Um, I'd be very wary of saying this is something that I'm more cautious about than this, because in my opinion, it all matters, right? Whether it's an inspection, whether it's uh, client calls because whatever, they have fireproofing and, and they don't know what to do with it. They've got workers that are in the building and is it an issue or is it not an issue? You know, I think GHP, we've always been on the forefront of being very conservative and and, and saying, if if I were you guys, I would take care of this very quickly and and, 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 and get it solved. So, and then we just help them, you know, walk through those situations as best that we can. So. I got one more text here that I really think is interesting. Um, the call I have never gotten. Hey, Mike, everyone in my building feels fine. Can you come and tell me why? Um, how do you convince owners to use your proactive services? How do you how do you get owners to you know pay attention to these proactive services? Ken, I mean, I, I think one of the most powerful tools we have is just some of the experience, some of the situations we've run into. Um, you know, where an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And so, you know, I mean, one one that comes to mind is, you know, maintenance program on your HVAC systems and, and your BAS system, right? So we we were at a facility and a few years prior to us going out there, um, they had cut that from the budget because somebody decided it wasn't worth paying that on a quarterly basis. Fast forward two or three years, and a lot of the sensors in that BAS system have gone out of calibration. So you've got some units that are totally wide open with the outside air dampers. Some are totally closed. And so you're either getting too much outside air coming in or not enough, and you're at negative pressure. Now you're having the HVAC diffuser start to sweat. You're starting to grow mold. And so now you're in a full-on remediation project. And the cost of cleaning everything up, in addition to getting all your BAS system and mechanical systems, you know, back calibrated and functioning properly, costs a lot more than you know just keeping that maintenance program going. So and plus the the negative relations with your clients, with your, your tenants, um, renewals of uh, you know the, the the leases and so on. I think that's a good point. Um, you've got to kind of get them to understand early on, you know, it's a lot more expensive to react than it is to be proactive. So I think that's a great point. Let me get one more in here before we go to the roundup. By the way, let's go back. John, can you pull the slides up? Because I, don't, I want to make sure I didn't skip anything in there, guys. I know you spent a little time putting these together. Okay, we did that. Yeah, this one. Okay. So uh, this one's kind of an interesting uh, deal here. Uh, it's showing the correlates of guest room malady, right? And non-guest room attributes. And, and and again, some of this data, you're like, well, that's a no-brainer, right? But we're com we're comparing guest room spaces versus non-guest room spaces. And what that 0.77 basically means is, wow, you know what? When you have stinky guest rooms, you also have stinky common space huh. rooms or common spaces. Which to me, I'm like, sure, we've all had that experience. You walk into a, you know, hotel or something, and you get hit in the head with uh, some odor, 
And it's just interesting to see the data like that. You know, it, there's a high correlation between those two types of spaces within the same building. So, you know, the thing that drives me crazy in hotels is when you walk in and you smell that that deodorizer, that um, you know, spray stuff that the cleaning product that has the you know the nice sweets, the the extra smelly stuff in it. What do you guys do with your hotels? Do you recommend they? They not use those types of products, use something with less odor. How do you work in that? How do you deal with that? Yeah, actually, I just, I didn't put one of those photos on here, um, but that's one of the things we look for. If you're having to use those types of air fresheners, you know, in the intake or whatever for a P, you know, for a, a PTAC, for a fan cool unit or something, a hotel room, there's something, there's an issue, right? There, there, there's an issue. And, and, and if we're seeing that, that's a big indicator that they're just kind of trying to perhaps band-aid the issue versus actually fix the issue. So, <clears throat> All right. Why don't we uh, – let's go to the roundup, John. All right. The roundup's brought to us by Madison IAQ this week. And uh, – Looking forward to getting together with the guys at Madison. They make some great products. Let's, um, I got two topics that we didn't get into that I want to make sure we cover. The first one is, Rich, can you speak to proactive IEQ in healthcare? Um, sure. I, I mean, you know, healthcare is, it's a little bit of a, a different situation than, you know, just homes or, or commercial buildings and the fact that we're, we're treating patients, um, you know, we've got surgeries going on, we may have immunocompromised uh, individuals in there. So, you know, we talk about mold having different, different effects on different people, but this is an area where we know that there can be devastating consequences to mold growth or, or indoor air quality issues. So, I mean, it, it's the one area where we we push the proactive approach more than any other. And have you had more? Uh, what, what about COVID and COVID related issues with, with either the hotels, the healthcare? I mean, have you had more people inquiring about proactive approaches to stop the spread of COVID? Yeah, I can. You want to handle that one? Yeah, we had. Tons of calls related to that, not just healthcare, but for everything else. Uh, you know, what do we do? How do we approach things? Are we treating certain patients in certain ways and putting them in different parts of the building? And what do we do in those locations? So, yes, we got tons and tons of calls um, related to COVID and, and all that. So, And what are the most, you know, if you had to kind of give you a hierarchy of the most important things to to deal with when you're dealing with COVID in these types of facilities, what would they be? Well, I think a lot of people, just from my reading of all the information that came out and recommendations, you know, from recommendation bodies, I think a lot of people were focusing, and it's important though, don't get me wrong, but they were focusing on surface contact related stuff, um, cleaning and you know, surfaces should have this and should be cleaned this often and all the different methods in doing that. But a lot of it, I thought that didn't necessarily get pushed to the background, but wasn't talked about as much was ventilation, right? 
um, you know, dilution is a solution. And, uh, you know, there wasn't as much as I thought that there should have been related to that right, with regards to COVID. Um, I mean, some people have talked about it and it's important, um, but that is, is kind of, in my mind, engineering controls, right? We're talking about industrial hygiene. That's a, that's a big deal. Yeah, and one other thing, one other thing we saw um, on the ventilation front was very early on. Uh, we had a lot of facilities that wanted to add isolation rooms, right? And so that means creating negative pressure specific to those spaces, um, and without really looking at how that affects the rest of your mechanical systems, you could end up making entire wings of a facility negative. And so, you know, if we keep that up for months at a time, what downstream effects are we going to have? Are we going to start bringing in all that, um, you know, hot, humid outside air and creating more mold problems elsewhere in the facility? When, when it comes to um, commissioning, and I think a lot of buildings need to kind of re redo their building commissioning and make sure, you know, you mentioned ventilation, Ken. I mean, if you were just, if we could just get them to do 62.1 and verify they're getting that type of ventilation, I think it would help a great deal. Did you get much or many people interested in making sure, and do you do your own commissioning or do you hire outside people to do that? We hire outside people for the commissioning. Okay. And was that something that you, you saw um, during COVID, people looking to try and verify whether they're getting ventilation? We, we didn't see a, a whole lot of, um, you know, interest in verifying ventilation. I actually saw a lot of interest in filtration. Okay. Uh, I would have expected and you're, I guess you're recommending going to MERV 13 if the if the system can handle it? Yeah, I mean, we we would recommend an upgrade. You make a good point if the system can handle it. that That's a big thing that a lot of people don't consider. Like, can I just put HEPA filters everywhere? And, and you know, no, if the system doesn't have enough static pressure to, to continue to operate, then no, you can't just, you can't just put in a bunch of extra filters depending on the situation. And I've got one more kind of big topic, but we've got about six minutes left. Then I want to give Cliff a chance to ask any follow-ups. Um, response to Hurricane Ian. I think this first this show first came up when I saw an article. I think it was maybe, maybe Ken was part of, but it was about response to Hurricane Ian, and it was responding to um, some healthcare facilities, and I think it was done in the Texas area. I wonder if you could give us some of your thoughts on how things have gone after Ian and recovery after, so uh, maybe it wouldn't have been, Ian, I don't think it was Texas, but Cliff can straighten me out on that. Ken? Well, yeah, I mean, Ian, that was uh, Southwest Florida. Florida, yeah. Yeah, so we <laughs> We responded to a, we had a lot of clients down there that we, we helped out with that. Um, you know, the biggest thing we do there is, is moisture mapping, right. And, and determining what's wet, what's not wet, you know, working with remediation contractors to help dry out and working with operations to see, you know, what, what areas can we keep online? What do we need to take down for remediation? Um, and just making sure that they get everything addressed 
so that we don't leave some areas wet and end up having mold and indoor air quality issues months down the line. Okay, Ken, any follow-up on that? Uh, you know, just you were saying as a result of, I think people are seeing or clients are seeing the value in being prepared for those unknown events that happen, right? Um, for instance, uh, everyone knows that a sprinkler head's gonna bust or a pipe's gonna bust or it's gonna get cold and water lines are gonna bust. I mean, that's just a, you know, that's just a fact that those things happen in buildings. But <clears throat> making sure that buildings uh, or, or the, the facility engineer team has their ducks in a row as far as training and what to do in those situations can very much help lessen the impact of those situations. You know, it can be something as simple as knowing where a shutoff valve is per floor or per wing. How do I get access to it? How can I quickly get access to it? Um, and, and let's test those valves, right? To make sure that they're gonna turn when we actually need them to turn. You know, I mean, that's just an example of, of, of those types of things that training up front and awareness up front absolutely helps uh, down the road when you really need it, so. That's a great point, Ken. Cliff, I wanna make sure I got one more really good, I think, um, text question from the audience, but I want to make sure I give you a chance to follow up first. Are you going to do Paula's? Is that well, there's one here from Remy that looks pretty good, but um, you can oh, do Paula's if you want. I didn't see the other one. Okay. Um, well, Paula's was just a comment. Was was all. Uh, her, her comment was some states uh, are getting involved in uh, mandating proactive IAQ programs, Connecticut, uh, is is one of those uh, is one of those states. My follow up question is: You talked a lot about odor, malodor, and so on and so forth. You know, what techniques or procedures or equipment are you using to try to map odors the the, the way that you would try to map moisture? It it sounds funny, but the human knows. <laughs> you know, we're we're walking into a space like let's say an assessor is walking into a hotel guest room we're trying to experience what that guest is going to encounter right we open the door and we're slammed with this musty odor or this uh, mal odor or even a chemical or a food odor we're probably going to note that and, 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 and describe what it is right yes we had a mal odor chemical in nature we had a mal odor food in nature and um, I mean, there's not a really a, a device that we're using per se that's picking that up. It's it's really from a qualitative standpoint. So, thanks. I've got a, a quick text question here. Hotel room issues. If you had to rank, would HVAC rank highest, or window wall leaks, or bathroom leaks? What do you see the most is most common? Uh, I'll go first, and then Rich, if you want to jump in, to me. I think HVAC related is probably a, a big factor. Um, it never fails if I'm walking through a facility and you can see indications of, you know, that greater than 60, 65, 70% RH. Those are the buildings that typically have that issue, right? And, um, and it, you know, if a bathroom leaks or a toilet overflows, that's, that, you know, spatially speaking, that's just, you know, that area, maybe the surrounding areas. But if you have an, an air handling unit that's not working like it's supposed to, 
that affects a whole uh, number of spaces, right? And so to me, that's the biggest issue that I'd probably lock in on more. And I don't, Rich, if you want to follow up. That's a great yeah. point, Rich. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, one of the aspects there is if you've got a window leak or, you know, a leak in the bathroom, it's kind of immediate. Like you see it, you recognize it immediately. With the HVAC issues, those tend to build over time. And so it could be months to years before you actually see the effects of that. All right, gentlemen. Well, I appreciate you joining us. Before we go, is there anything we missed that you'd like to add? I wish I could have talked to Ken a little bit more about some of his overseas work, but um, anything we missed that you'd like to add? Ken, start with you. I think uh, we've talked about kind of what we wanted to talk about. Uh, I do want to thank you guys for letting us uh, be on this great show. Um, GHP thanks you. Rich and I thank you. Uh, it's a great program. Um, I'm going to have to even go back further and check out more of y'all's shows. So I, I, we really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thanks for that. Rich? Yeah, I, I think we covered everything I wanted to. I'm sure we could, you know, talk for hours and share war stories and all that kind exactly. of stuff. But um, no, really, really appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on and, and talk with you guys. It's been great. Thank you. Well, gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Our thanks to this week's guests, Rich Krim and Ken Garza of uh, GHP. I want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. John, you got to have faith at the controls. Most importantly, our growing loyal audience. Uh, next week, uh, the Z-Man will be live down at the Andy Osk Building Science Symposium, a.k.a. Winter Break giving us some highlights from the, uh, especially I'm really interested in the panel with uh, three of the building science uh, gurus down there, Mr. Steebrook and others. Uh, that, that ought to be great. And um, we're going to do a show live from down there on next Friday at noon. So please come back and join us for the next episode of IAQ Radio Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reel saying thanks for listening. 